Hello, everyone. I'm Miguel Armasa. And I'm Ryan Zauk. And welcome to a special edition of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. So if you are hoping for an interview with a FinTech leader, this is not your episode. You can probably tune out right now. <laughs> this is going to be of a different episode. You know, Ryan and I, we've been doing this all year. Uh, it's been an extremely energetic year. And you know, we just want to talk a little bit about what we've been up to and what you have been listening to. So, uh, Ryan, how, how do you feel? Honestly, Miguel, sitting here, we're finally in the same state. We're uh, both in Florida. I'm here in Jupiter. Miguel is in the new Silicon Valley of Miami, or so Twitter tells me, uh, which is nice. We're in the same time zone. Honestly, reflecting on the year, Miguel, it's pretty wild, I think is the first word that comes to mind. I think back to when I got this role to host the podcast, and you call me back in April. And I mean, the Warren FinTech podcast has been around quite a while. And I think any long-term listener, you know, disrespect to all of our great hosts and students before, will see kind of the jump that it's made in the last 10 months. And you kind of laid out this vision for me. I mean, I just thought, all right, yeah, we'll do a couple episodes a month, keep it casual, focus on classes, keep traveling and partying like the rest of our classmates. And <laughs> that's not what Miguel Armasa had in mind. <laughs> And it has been unreal. I mean, fast forward later, we've done, we've gone from probably two episodes a month to four a week. And the content, I think, speaks for itself. It's been a highlight of my experience here. How yeah, about you? you're right. It's, same for me, same for me. And, you know, it goes without saying that's been amazing working together. And I mean, if you look at the numbers, right, the podcast itself has published, we've published 129 episodes, right, which is pretty nuts. And I mean, personally, I've recorded, I haven't published all these ones, but I've recorded 90. I've actually recorded 89 and tomorrow I'm recording my last <laughs> one. Last one, got to sneak one before Christmas. Last one of the oh year, which God. will be a, a nice round number, 90. And you, you've also done a big number and there's, you're accelerating. I like that. There's, there's a lot more to come from you and you've gotten some big names. <laughs> well, before that, can you just give us a quick preview of uh, who's going to be guest number 90? This next guest is a Wharton grad, someone who launched his own fund maybe eight years ago and is now in like found four or five, focused mostly on fintech. And it's someone who you know, has really invested in a, in a bunch of amazing companies, unicorns included. So I think it'll be a, a great perspective. That's great. And yeah, I think for anyone out there who has done their own type of content creation and podcasting, they realize what an undertaking 90 episodes is, because it's probably about three to five hours of work minimum per episode. So that's a lot of time. I've done about 20 and it still feels like a full-time job. So kudos to Miguel, 90 <laughs> but it, episodes. But it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Let's, yeah. let's talk a bit about our, our guests, because we, we've flirted a lot. I mean, this mm -hmm. has been the first year for both of us doing podcasting, right? What would you say have been, like maybe tell us about one funny anecdote or like one surprise that you've had with your guests? I think th the first thing is that interviewing is a skill and it's something that you develop over time. Shout out to my first guest, Stuart Sop. I came in just so hyper prepared with 10 questions ready to go. Here's what I was going to do. I was going to read them word for word. He was going to give me great answers and we would hop out. And what it turned into was so much more conversational. And you find out that, yes, even though these people are 
CEOs and founders and fintech titans. They're regular people that just kind of love to talk about life, have hobbies. They don't necessarily want to just talk about fintech, fintech, fintech. They want to talk about what's going on in their life, building companies, what it's like to manage a team. And I've just loved it. I'll think of a more funny story in a second, but how about you? Yeah, I, I don't know how funny this is, but I, I had a guest, like I won't say the name, but it was a huge, huge name, probably the, one of the biggest ones I've definitely done. And, you know, it was an amazing interview. And in one of those questions, we probably spent eight, maybe five minutes talking about this question. It was about a product they had just launched. And, you know, this guest gave me a, a very passionate response on how this was an amazing new product. It was going to revolutionize the region. And I loved the answer, right? Mm-hmm. Two days after recording, <laughs> the government bans that specific oh. product. <laughs> <laughs> I know this story. <laughs> and I freaked out because we care about our guests and then we want the result to be the best possible experience for everyone involved. So, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I was like, should I just publish it? Should I cut it? So I, I, I asked, you know, like when in doubt, ask. And I sent this person the specific question, what should I do? This, this just happened. Every major newspaper was covering it. And, you know, um, that person responded instantly and said, that's fine, keep it. You know, it was, it was still a good response. So I was still fairly new. I, I freaked out a little bit, but uh, it was a good lesson. And, you know, always, always ask. Be as transparent as possible. Absolutely. I had a great answer in an episode a few weeks ago, and I could tell it was a little controversial. There was a lot of politics being mentioned, but it was such a brilliant answer. And I was like, this is going to be a great video. This is what's going to be you know, our best video of the year. Sure enough, 20 minutes after the episode, I get an email. Ryan, I don't think I want to publish that. I take it all back. Please erase <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, the disappointment. It was a gut punch. But what are you going to do? You have to respect your guests. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about the guests. Um, how about challenges? I know that you've had some recording challenges given your neighborhood. Right. So Miguel and I are still full-time MBAs, believe it or not. And we live in Philadelphia, which is a city that low-key is booming and there's construction everywhere. And I've had the honor of being on the top floor of a building. So all the sound travels up in a city and kind of climaxes at the top of the building. And I live right next to a huge construction site. So what does that mean when I booked all of these interviews before I realized this was going to be an issue? I'm taking episodes from my closet, from my bathroom, from my my hallmates' places. I've taken it from my girlfriend's places. I think I've done maybe three out of my 20 episodes from my actual room. It's infuriating. And other things that you don't realize (laughs) when you're making a podcast. Yeah, yeah. I I read... There's a newsletter talking about podcasts and it said every single podcaster has gotten acquainted with their bathroom and closet. And (laughs) I definitely empathize. But you know what? My second episode that I recorded was with Nikki Gulimis in New York. This is Nova Credit. And I went to their offices. The only out of the 90s, the only one I've done it in person. And the sound quality is not the best because of it's New York. There's construction everywhere, right? <laughs> so recording over Zoom has been good and bad. If you happen to live above construction, it can be messy, right? But if you can find a quiet place, mm-hmm. it's actually amazing, right? Because you can just connect at any point. 
it's easy to to interview guests who are in different parts of the world. So it has its yeah. ups and downs, but it, the advantages or the disadvantages, it depends on where you live. So speaking of recording challenges, we just spent the last 10 minutes <laughs> dealing with uh, Ryan's connection. So he's, he's switched mics. <laughs> I always something I had to dial in. I'm walking around this apartment trying to find the router and just had to go to the old-fashioned cell phone. You know what? I've read that landlines have gone up this year. Installations of new landlines. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm losing, I'm losing my faith in Wi-Fi and mobile more and more by the day. <laughs> yeah. But um, going back to you know, some of our challenges, we just had the perfect example. <laughs> perfect example. Yeah. I mean, one thing that for people that ask me about trying to do a podcast or trying to start a show, from my point of view, there are good news and bad news, right? I mean, the good news is that it's very easy. Low, Easier than ever. Yeah, low equipment, right? You just need a, a decent microphone. Ours are mm-hmm. cost $40 each, right? Mm-hmm. Most people do have a computer. So, you know, you need a computer. <laughs> and a, a couple, yeah, headphones, a couple other bells and whistles. But it's, it's low low commitment for equipment, right? The bad Mm -hmm. news is that because it's very easy, then (laughs) it's very competitive, right? Right. So you need to stick with it. You need to continue doing it despite at the beginning, most likely having low numbers, right? And it takes a while for this thing to take off. So that's kind of the challenge for creators, for, for podcast creators these days. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we got to skate by that challenge a little bit, being able to come into such an incumbent podcast and having the Wharton name behind us and such a great audience already. But I mean, I've, I've built stuff like that. I had a record label before Wharton that I worked on and, you know, helping an artist get big and looking at your Spotify streaming numbers is really not at all different from getting a podcast off the ground. And Pouring your blood, sweat, and tears into something and seeing 60 streams, 200 streams, one like on the post is tough. But as you said, the consistency is so key. Same release cycle, same quality, not compromising on quality at all. If you just keep building and building, the audience will find you. And there is a ton of competition. I don't think there's a day that I don't get onto social media and I see a new influencer, VC, thought leader, entrepreneur, CEO, or even a big news station like Money 2020 has a podcast, New York Times has a ton, iHeart, it's, it's endless now. Yeah, yeah. You, you just got to find your niche and have at least a clear idea in your mind of who are you recording for, right? right. What are you trying to deliver? And for us, that is entrepreneurs. That, for me, that's the number one. Either aspiring entrepreneurs people who are looking to build in the foreseeable future, people who are currently building. And every time I get feedback from one of our listeners and who's someone who's an entrepreneur who fits that category, for me, it's just such great validation, right? And to know that you know, you're, you're providing a little bit of value to their whole entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, I, I think we, we don't get as much feedback as one would think. We get very limited feedback on episodes. But when we do get these glimpses, and again, like you said, it's CEOs, existing entrepreneurs, 
angel investors, new founders, old founders listening and, you know, gleaning these good insights that we're trying to provide it, it keeps you going. It, it lights a fire on it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of founders, what, what have been some of those trends that we've seen this year amongst our guests? Because we have a pretty good sample of the industry, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly for Series B and beyond. From right. your point of view, what have been some of those trends or like the, those themes that you, you've seen stood out? Yeah. I, from one quick practical standpoint, I asked just about every founder what the impact has been of remote work, Zoom. How are you keeping an office culture? How are you recruiting people? Office politics is an ugly truth of every job, but it's kind of a necessity. And now we're totally without it. How are you reacting? Every single CEO has said it's really, thankfully, been a net positive. The team has transitioned seamlessly. People are enjoying working from home more, and they are able to focus a lot more time with their families as well as their work. And it's made them unbelievably more effective fundraisers. And I think you hear this in every podcast. They're like, you know, my old life. And I was actually, I was listening to a Keith Raboy's podcast today where he was like, my usual schedule is I'm in New York once a month, Miami, Austin, Berlin once a quarter. And now I can do all of those in the same day, no problem. And the flights, it turns into a full conference. There's a pre-board meeting, an after meeting. You go to dinners with them. It's very clean and effective now. It's one of the biggest things I've seen. Yeah, good point. Good point. And when it comes to specific fintechs, I mean, clearly we've seen the rise of neobanks. I mean, neobanks were around, mm-hmm. but it's just been their year to shine. And, and we've, we've had probably the majority of the neobanks on, on the show. And I feel that because it, it would take us some time to publish. Sometimes it would take us two months. And between mm-hmm. the interview and the time <laughs> we published, they would have added 2 million customers. <laughs> exactly. But a perfect example. Up. Right. When I interviewed Stuart Sop of Current, I mean, we interviewed him in, I think, April or May. Three days after I interview him, he's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. A month after I interview him, they raised this huge bridge funding. Then they hit 2 million customers. And just you know, a few weeks ago, they raised a $100 million Series C. And I'm sitting there thinking my podcast is already irrelevant. So much has happened since. Yeah. And, and one last trend that has been clear, not just in fintech, but I think across corporates in general, has been the focus on, I, I guess it's two things. One is sustainability, right? Mm-hmm. But also number two is more empathy, right? I mean, we saw yes. a round of layoffs and as compared to the rounds of layoffs in 2008, 2009, the ones of this year have been as kind as possible. There's obviously no kind way to lay someone off, but some of these companies, they've actually done a great job. And some of those CEOs have been on, on the show. And these are people who would accelerate the vesting schedules of the people who are, who are leaving the company, who would make it a point to help them find another job. So th- incredible right. things like that, that no one expected that kind of behavior in the past crisis. Right. And so many people, I mean, going back to the neobank trend, so many fintechs are now focusing on these traditionally 
marginalized customers, whether it's, you know, the cement and true records of the world that are going after people that have fallen into debt and really leading a more empathy-driven approach to getting them out of debt is extremely impactful because traditionally, as we know, and this is really a big trend of fintech, it's not really profitable for big banks to have gone after, you know, these customers providing A-plus service across the board. It just didn't really make sense for what they were trying to accomplish in their business model. But these new fintechs are helping these people so much, and we see it firsthand every day in the news, and it's such a positive for this industry. Yeah, and something related to that for me, I mean, this episode won't be published until mid-January, but is is my interview with Jackie Rhesus, former number two at Square, right? Head of Square Capital. And this was also the year, I mean, with the backtrack of COVID, this was the year for fintech to really shine. And I think there's right. going to be a lot written about how companies like Square actually facilitated the disbursement of billions and billions of dollars to small businesses, right? And, and Jackie tells a story. I actually got goosebumps while hearing her story and how within the organization, within Square, it felt like wartime and they were recruiting engineers mm-hmm. from all over the company, from a, around the country or their offices anywhere in the world, just making it very clear this were going to be 15-hour shifts, but it was absolutely necessary and they were asking for volunteers. It's just for everyone who listens to that episode, would love to hear it. Mm-hmm. But to me, it was, it was actually inspiring. Yeah, I'm very excited for that episode. And we've seen that across so many companies. I mean, when I had John Pitts of Platon, they did a huge study about how many people have been adopting FinTech this year. And I think the number was I think about 70% don't ever plan on going back to traditional financial services. And going back to disbursements of loans and the PPP, we have an NYU professor coming on in, I think, late January, who just published a huge paper for NYU Economics Department on the outsized role that FinTech played for the PPP and how, honestly, without them, they don't know if it would have been a success at all and if the country would be where it is right now. Yeah, that's incredible. Let's talk about lessons learned because I know I've I've learned a ton. Uh, maybe I can get us started. And that is, this is an audio-driven show and that's our default. But this year we started to experiment with video, right? And that's been a, a ton of fun. But I, I learned something. And you know, <laughs> what I noticed is that at one point, all of my episodes, all of my videos were male CEOs, right? And, and you know, I started to analyze as to why, and I realized I wasn't giving our guests notice that there was that option to do video. And, you know, for right. guys, mo- not all, but <laughs> most guys were like, oh, is videos included? And like, they look away, <laughs> move, the, <laughs> move their hair, you know, shake a little right, bit. Right, a quick like, comb through. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, I'm ready. Yeah. Whereas, right. you know, ladies want a little bit more time, you know, ladies want you know, a little <laughs> bit more time to get camera ready. And uh, that was me. It was a stupid mistake, but uh, something that obviously it's not intuitive. <laughs> and I think I've since corrected and, and we've been having some, uh, some uh, rock star female founders and investors 
over video. But that was that was one of those things that you just don't know, right? Like from from at least yeah. from my point of view. Yeah. Other things, I mean, the importance of good production value is crucial. I mean, when I listened to our first episodes, we used a different editing service previously. We did not necessarily have professional mics. We weren't always having headphones in. Maybe our video was a little shaky. The transition to really running it like a business and making everything that we do extremely professional and high quality makes the episode so much better. And editing, I mean, I had no understanding of it before this. And I just assumed every podcast I listened to was perfect in one take. And that's just how they do it. They download the MP3 and then ship it off to SoundCloud. And that is not at all <laughs> what the process is like. And, you know, quick shout out to our editor, Rafo down in Chile, who's just been doing incredible work for us. Miguel, if you want to opine on him. Yeah, no, huge fan. I mean, funny story, Rafo and I are childhood friends. And he, you know, he decided to become a sound engineer. He was always the fun, creative type. And so when, when I reached out to him, I didn't know he, he was doing work with podcasting as well. I was trying to get tips and maybe have him connect me with one of his buddies. But, you know, <laughs> his response was like, how about me? And I'm, I'm so glad that we've been using him. It's been a breeze for anyone who wants to get in touch with Rafa. Send us an email, send us a message. He's the best. And he has a team. It's not just him. He has capacity for a lot more. And just every episode has been super clean and very crisp. Mm -hmm. And what I like the most about it is that sometimes I don't have enough time to give him all the instructions that I would like. Like these are personal right. comments that I have, things that I would like. But he just does it without anyone. He uses his own criteria, right? His own, I guess, uh, common sense to really get a good product out. Yeah. I mean, his service is excellent. He's communicative. And again, I see toward the other side. I'm over anal, I think, about every episode that I submit to him down to the second. I want this second a little quieter, a little louder. Let me see if I can replace this. Let's move this around. And he just executes flawlessly. And then, like you said, he picks up things that I would never pick up. There was one episode that I did. He was, you know, the levels in this section would sound a lot better. And do you think we could move this around? Or maybe do you want to re-record this part and it'll sound much better based on, you know, the audio file that I'm working with? And I hear the difference 100%. You don't think that you would, but you absolutely do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it comes to podcasting, of course, distribution is key. I mean, not just podcasting for, but most businesses. And so for us, distribution has been through social media, right? I, I want to hear your take as to what do you think has been the most useful in terms of which platform. For me, there's no doubt that it's been LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. For me, that's the winner, <laughs> of the year, yeah. although they don't have the best platform and not the best product. And there's a lot of criticism. Mm -hmm. They deserve it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for me, LinkedIn has been just amazing because much like, uh, I know you and I, we, we really like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. So he talks about LinkedIn and paints the parallel how LinkedIn is Facebook 10 years ago, where you can have very few followers, but your posts can still go viral. Right. And absolutely. I, yeah. And now I've built a followership base. But when I started, I just had my connections from 
my old life, right? And I, I still managed to get posts with 20,000 impressions, you know, as long as right. the quality of the content was there. Right. So I, yeah, I would echo exactly what you say. The reach of LinkedIn, as cringe and brutal as it is, I mean, the things you see on there some days just make <laughs> you question everything and make you want to drop business altogether and go be a doctor or anything else but this just like sleazy, self-serving, self-motivating industry that we sometimes see on LinkedIn. It is brutal. Yes. But I will say the power of it is incredible and we've seen that. And then I do, you know, Twitter has a special place in my heart. I think at the macro level, LinkedIn is unbeatable. But then at the micro level, Twitter is the most powerful platform on earth today. And I don't think it's close. And we haven't really touched TikTok yet. I think that might be a 2021 stretch goal. But Twitter, I mean, I've probably sourced at least six episodes through Twitter, just seeing great content. And I mean, these are CEOs of the largest companies in the world, the largest VCs, the hottest startups just on there waiting to be approached, waiting to be talked to, to be interacted with, talking about their daily thoughts. It's incredible. And I think if you want to get pretty targeted with your marketing, tagging people, get, inserting your stuff into conversations and just learning, Twitter is incredible at the micro level if you know what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it definitely requires more work. And that is probably why some people are big on Twitter and why some aren't, because you do need to invest the time to participate in the conversation, right? I learned that this year. Right. I, I've actually, I've had a Twitter account since 2009, actually, you know, and oh my I, God. I only restarted using it this year. And it's as long as you're part of the conversation, then people will engage because you, if you're just posting your content as like, you're just posting an article without mm -hmm. saying anything might be okay, but it's far better. If you are, like you said, you're tagging, you're responding to our threads you're DMing right. people, right? And you're just, you know, and you can be silly. You can, you, there's extremes, <laughs> maybe not too For silly, sure. but, uh, but it's, it's a crazy platform and the, the amount of free, valuable content that exists, mm -hmm. it blows my mind. Right. And I think we have to give a shout out to the fintech junkie himself, Frank Rothman. Yes. I mean, perfect example. Frank was, you know, I'm sure you all know him, the founder of QED who's you know, one of the best fintech VCs or VCs in the country. He took over our Twitter off a of Twitter ask, and it was incredible. Talk about the knowledge dump that happened in that one-hour Q&A that he hosted on our platform. And then he also just puts up those threads like once a week, my thoughts on startups, the biggest flaws in CEOs. And I'm, it's mandatory reading if you're in the space. And not to mention the engagement that we got off of that was incredible. That was our highest follower increase of the year in one hour. Yeah. Frank, if you're listening, you're part of the family here. <laughs> <laughs> this is great, man. Um, going forward, what's, uh, where do you think this is going? Where do you think the podcast is going? Where do you think uh, this platform is going? Great question. Uh, the obvious answer is to the moon, of course. But you know, the weird thing with this podcast is you know, we are affiliated with Warren. The MBA is a two-year program. Mikel and I are unfortunately graduating in May and going back, leaving this fantasy world that is <laughs> business school. So I think this next kind of six-month run that we have 
is going to put our last six months to shame. I mean, I'm, I have the roster of guests right now in front of us. I don't want to give away any secrets, but the list is incredible and our content is getting better. We're doing videos. We have a lot more ideas for content coming up. I have six months. I don't necessarily have the 10,000 subscriber LinkedIn platform that you do <laughs> right now. So I'm trying to make the most of these next six months and just get to talk to as many really incredible accomplished people as I can. Yeah. And, and it's worth noting that we've recruited a, oh, yeah. our team of three. And we have Anirudh, we have Gabi, and Ali. And I think they're going to do great, great things, right? So I'm, I'm excited for them to also start recording sometime this year in 2021. And yeah, so I've enjoyed it so much that I'm going to continue. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Maybe not through <laughs> Wharton because they'll kick me out. But right. uh, like you said, like I knew this was coming. So I, I launched my, my own newsletter and that's been a, also a really incredible ride. And I, I reached 10,000 subscribers in 165 days. That was incredible. Uh, three days ago. And I'm excited for a future. I have some ideas. I'm going to change the format a little bit. I'm going to do some things that no other newsletter or podcast is doing. And I think that combined with Wharton FinTech Platform, I think it's going to be going to be an amazing year there's there's no doubt and and you know what the guests although we've interviewed some of the biggest guests out there there's still such a big <laughs> landscape right that you know we're yeah we're gonna do some cool stuff yeah i think i remember ali one of our new recruits asked me you and Miguel are taking all of these guests you know who are we gonna have left to interview next summer and i was like ali the list I have on my phone of people that I want to reach out to is at least 150 long. And then you can also repeat guests. There is no shortage of talent in fintech and the general tech space and finance space. And it's growing so much as we've seen this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the secret, I think, is opening up to the entire world, right? I mean, Traditionally, yeah. this was a US-focused show, and, and that's perfectly fine. But we've changed that this year. And you know what? Bringing some of the biggest fintech names from around the world has also increased our audience. So I was looking at the numbers last night, mm -hmm. and it used to be that New York was our top city of listeners. Now it's London, right. and it's not even close. It's like twice as many listeners from London than from New York. And then oh, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And then followed by some other cool cities around the world. And it's been so amazing interviewing, you know, a couple of amazing Brazilian founders and then gaining mm -hmm. Brazilian listeners. Doing the same, bringing a Kenyan or Nigerian entrepreneur or investor and then gaining audience from there. Or same goes for Singapore and London. So to me, that that's that's just, you know, there's so many interesting things going on in fintech outside of the US that we will be doing a disservice to our audience not to bring those guests. And by the way, it's not just you and I. I think there's a great moment to mention Anchit, Anchit Gupta, who's she not only has covered some great entrepreneurs both in the US and in other parts of the world, but especially her focus has been 
India fintech. And that's just a whole landscape, a whole universe that is emerging that I am trying to understand better. Her podcast have helped, but uh, I hope we, we get to hear more from her, not just from Fintech India, but from all over the place. But yeah, shout out to Anchit. That has been amazing. Absolutely. It's getting so global. And I mean, when I did the Wahed episode, which is a, you know, a Sharia compliant investment platform, it's a company that you know was just had raised their Series B. I hadn't really heard of it. They're pretty small in the U.S. It's probably my best performing episode of all time. And the outpouring of support and interest I got from entrepreneurs and fintech leaders all over the Middle East was incredible. And they all kept saying, we don't get featured in these publications as much. It's very U.S.-centric. Not as much press is coming to the Middle East. And the same stands for South America, Africa. Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe. It's such, and I mean, if you're a podcast creator out there, play to these niches. If you have a background there, Miguel, you know, a lauder student speaks 12 languages and is able to get all of these student uh, founders on there. It's a huge opportunity and just incredible companies being built. You're right. Um, and that is a really good point. They don't get enough airtime uh, and they should because, you know, they're doing right. really cool stuff. One last thing I'd like to add is, for anyone who's still listening, we are going to have a really cool project where we're actually going to engage the audience. And so we've noticed how there's so many amazing people in the industry, particularly this year that has been challenging for everyone. But at the same time, you know, while it's been challenging, there's been people who have done just extremely valuable things, extremely inspiring things. So we want to, we're going to launch our list of the top 10 people in fintech for 2020. And these are the ones that inspired you the most, the ones that really stepped up to the challenge, to the COVID challenge. So you'll be seeing this in our socials, in our newsletter, and there'll be a form for you to submit your nominations. Yeah, it's a tough task for sure. How do you pick 10 from this wide world of fintech? But I'm excited to see what our listeners come up with. Outstanding. Ryan, anything before we go? Uh, I just have to say this has been an incredible, incredible experience. And just wait for what the next six months have ahead. There's amazing episodes. The fintech space is amazing. And I'm excited to keep building in it and you know beyond after graduation. And thank you, Miguel, for being the partner in crime over the last eight months. I have to say I've spent more time talking with Miguel than just about anyone else in my life <laughs> since March and April. <laughs> and my girlfriend's suspicious. And I actually <laughs> did not meet Miguel in person, a, you know, a quick COVID turn until, what was it, October, September? Yeah. Some, some crazy thing like that. You're right. right. This, is, this is like a perfect example of a COVID friendship. <laughs> we, we did not meet in person for six months, although we're probably talking every day. Right. And I don't feel like we lost too much of the friendship, you know, along the way. Like I still got a feel for the personality. You know, people get nervous about building connections over Zoom, et cetera. Ours was all WhatsApp and Zoom. And I think we work great. It works. So it's been my pleasure, senor. So for anyone listening, we love it when you reach out. We love it when you send us ideas. We wish we could interview everyone. We're just limited with time. But still, do send us your feedback and ideas. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thank you.